Welcome to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. I'm your aptly named host of your favorite hebdomadal podcast. Oh, I'm glad you're with me. I'd be forced to endure the pain of dextroclination if I saw that you missed this week's show. Engagement and stewardship for increased giving. As our 23 NTC coverage continues, Brenna Holmes and Alyssa Ackerman deliver systems and ideas that treat your donors right. They help you understand the value of multi-channel touches that move the needle on donor retention and value. They're both from Mission Wired. And data maturity. Also from 23NTC, how data strategy and practices impact your ability to meet your mission, plus a free resource to gauge your data maturity. Joanne Jan is from data.org. On Tony's Take Two, it is what it is, is what I made it. No, no, we're done with that. We're sponsored by DonorBox. With intuitive fundraising software from DonorBox, your donors give four times faster. Helping you help others. DonorBox.org. Here is Engagement and Stewardship for Increased Giving. Welcome back to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio coverage of 23NTC, the 2023 Nonprofit Technology Conference, where we are sponsored by Heller Consulting technology strategy and implementation for nonprofits. It's my pleasure to welcome back Brenna Holmes and to welcome Alyssa Ackerman to Nonprofit Radio. Brenna is Principal and Senior Vice President of Mission Wired and Alyssa is Senior Account Director also at Mission Wired. Brenna, welcome back. Alyssa, welcome. Thank you, Tony. It's so fun to be here. Nice to have you. Thank you very much. All right. Your topic this year, engagement and stewardship tactics that drive increased giving. Mm-hmm. Right in the fundraising track, I'm sure, right? Part of the fundraising track? Correct. Right. Brenna, why don't you kick us off? Just kind of give us a 30,000-foot view of why you believe that we need this session. Yeah, 100%. At 23 NTC. Yeah. Um, I mean, fundraising's harder and harder nowadays, right? It's a very competitive market. There's a lot of organizations out there vying for donor dollars. Um, and while new generations of donors are coming up, the way they respond and the way they give is different from previous generations. And then no matter who you are, nobody wants to be treated like an ATM. So building in engagement and stewardship opportunities is we found the best way to get move a donor from a one-time giver to a lifetime brand evangelist. Oh, brand evangelist. I love evangelism. Okay. I'm the evangelist for planned giving. There you go. Because I do yes. planned giving fundraising. Well, and that's keeping them engaged, right? All the way through to planned through, giving, 100%. Through their, through their donor cycle. Yeah, mm-hmm. their donor lifetime. Yes. Uh, have you done your session yet? We did yeah. yesterday. Okay, excellent. So I can ask you about how that went and yes. what, what questions arose from that. Um, Let's see. I mean, I have your three uh, learning objectives that were stated in the uh, official document for your for your session. Where where would you like to start the the topic? Where where 
where did Alyssa, where did you begin the session? Yeah, I think that it's important to give an overview of why engagement is important as well as how it fits into the overall fundraising strategy. All right. So, yeah, I think a lot of organizations oftentimes struggle with the balance and for us to be able to share the value of engagement. Please do. Well, don't, yeah. don't stop there. Okay. I don't want Keep you to going. Talk, I don't want you to talk about what you talked about. Okay. I want you to talk about it like you talked about it. Yes. So there is a strong value behind engagement and stewardship tactics. So you're really building that relationship with your donor and potential donor. And by doing that, you're building a case for support. And they're able to make their own decisions to give and quicker. So when you're asking them to make that gift after an engagement, there's little decision to be made because you've already helped prime and pave that path for them to make the easy, easy choice to give. Are we talking about giving not just first time, but could be any, any yeah. time in their Anytime, and you know, we want to always try to uh, lessen the time between a first and second gift, get people to be giving at different levels. Um, and so it's not just about that first time donor and moving them down the marketing funnel, but also retaining those donors and moving them in their donor journey. Okay, so why don't we stick with you? Kick us off with okay. the first. Uh, we're going to do engagement before we're going to get the stewardship. Let's kick us off with the first engagement strategy. Yeah, so um, engagement is really important in the beginning of a donor or potential donor's journey. So thinking about um, different ways to welcome and onboard. So okay. someone who might have signed up for email, let's get them into a automated welcome series that's explaining what the organization does, how they can make an impact, stay connected, and then when they get out of that series, get that first ask in. So they've already taken the action of becoming a subscriber, but let's get them to take that next step quickly. But also set expectations of how we're gonna be communicating, why we're communicating. Um, so really that onboarding is important to set the stage for how they are gonna be included in the organization. How long does this welcome series last? Yeah, so typically um, welcome series last, you know, could last 10 to three weeks having multiple touch points. It's important. 10, day, 10 days to three weeks. Mm -hmm. It's important that when they are in a welcome series though, that you're being mindful of other communication that's going out. And so oftentimes my recommendation is to suppress from other uh, correspondence going out. So it's very clear, concise, and they're on this track. They've been primed. They understand uh, the organization and the communication stream, and then get them into your normal cadence of communication. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really about your organization. So you should test. Um, there's not one prescribed uh, timeline for a welcome series. And so um, based on your content and your audience, it might be shorter or longer, um, but it's really important to test that out. You, you suggested uh, that a part of that is informing them how you're going to be communicating. Is that is that really asking how do you want to be communicated or or saying you'll hear from us every three days 
for the next three weeks. I understand. Yeah. It would be. I understand this is not a template that everybody Very applies. Very specific. Right. You, you can, yeah. you're at, you're, in the next 48 hours, yeah. Yeah. there will be no communications. <laughs> but then but in the please, next three hours after that, you will get no. So, but how do you? Yeah. How, to what degree are you informing them how you'll be communicating? What do you? Yeah. What, again, what I that, think it's dependent like? upon your organization. I am a big believer in. in uh, have asking that question of what are you interested in? How do you want to hear from us? Mm-hmm. But sometimes, if your system isn't set up to actually um, do that or or set those um, standards of if you only want a newsletter, but we don't have it, our system set up to only send you a newsletter. Let's not ask that. Yeah. Um, but we can be general to say like you'll be hearing from us and you'll get newsletters, important updates. Um, If you've given your cell phone number, you'll be getting SMS messages from us. So you can be vague, but the the big thing is you need to um, follow through on that. So if you're asking how they want to be communicated to. Then you need to honor what they they tell you. Yeah. Okay. All right. Brenna, uh, how about for you? What else about engagement before we get to stewardship? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, engagement can mean many things to many people, right? And it really is in the digital space, which is a lot of what we were talking about, um, getting them to engage with content. So take an action, click something that is measurable in some way. Um, Alyssa talked about onboarding, but we can take that even further throughout, you know, quizzes and surveys, getting their own preferences, even at, you know, obviously uh, action alerts for advocacy organizations, getting people to take action in a, in a more impactful way um, and giving them feedback on what that impact is, is really critical. So depending on the organization, it's a beautiful consultant answer, right? It depends. Um, you're asking them to volunteer, asking them if they're interested in these other opportunities to, to further bond them with the organization. Because whether it is engagement or stewardship or, you know, thinking of them as synonyms, it is about how they engage to stay bonded to the organization or become bonded in the first place. And there's value in all these individual steps. There is, definitely. And some organizations can actually put monetary value to them, right? Like they need this number of many signatures for this petition to take this to Congress or, you know, that sort of thing. And some of it is a little bit more just feel good to calculate how folks are responding to the brand, whether it's recognition and um, sentiment kind of things. Okay. Any other strategies or tactics around engagement even beyond? So we, we've we talked about the uh, welcome series. Mm-hmm. All right. So now we've gone beyond the welcome series. Anything more? I mean, I guess we're leading toward, Alyssa, you had suggested a, fir- a first gift or maybe 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 the welcome series came after the, after the first gift yeah. right. so now we're looking for a second gift but the welcome series uh, just to be clear I mean it, it could have come after some other action right exactly uh, mm-hmm. a, a signature on a petition yep. mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if you're sophisticated enough maybe a comment on a on a comment on a social post yeah if, yeah. if you've got that kind of connection mm-hmm. but Okay, so it doesn't have to just be yeah. A, from so it the could be gift. you know an uh, email subscriber, a new donor. Right, a new, a that's new, a good one. Yeah, joined our email list. Yeah, yeah a, right. a new sustainer, perhaps. 
Um, or if you have like mid-level giving or major giving, if someone's made a mid-level gift, they should have a unique onboarding experience mm -hmm. as well. Um, but beyond welcome series, as Brenna mentioned, having surveys and petitions to really uh, bond. And then that that's really focused in digital, but there are many opportunities in direct mail that can complement these as well. Surveys um, and petitions are a mainstay in direct yeah. mail, right? So those uh, engagement devices, again, that's the term that's used in direct response okay. for eras yeah. and eras, uh, is to get people to feel their impact beyond writing the check or making the gift. Um, and you should be doing that. One of the things we focused on in the session was doing that on a recurring basis. So working, having the fundraising team either build them themselves as part of a comprehensive communications calendar or work collaboratively with a marketing communications team that may be already producing this type of more educational or quote unquote programmatic content so that it's not just month one, three fundraising appeals and nothing else. We really want to make sure that the donor um, or prospective donor is having the opportunity to learn and engage with the organization in various ways. Okay, okay. Um, so anything else on engagement before we, we move to stewardship? No. Don't hold out on nonprofit radio <laughs> listeners. So. I mean, I feel like... What else did you share in your session? I feel like we touched on a lot of it. I mean, mm -hmm. Alyssa talked about tactical opportunities too with whether it's SMS or uh, even like auto calls, voice recordings, things like that. Um, and engagement and stewardship can... Those are... People still people still uh, react positively to the auto calls? They do. I mean, we forget that our smartphones are actually phones oftentimes, right? Uh -huh. Not just supercomputers in our pocket. Um, and getting a recorded message that is a human, sometimes even a volunteer or another donor from an organization that is thanking somebody, for instance, for their gift or giving them an opportunity to come to an event um, or just saying, go online and check out this latest case that we just wrote this expose on, again, depending on the organization, yeah. is a really fantastic way to get break through the clutter of somebody's inbox, somebody's direct mail, you know, actual mailbox um, and technology now allows us to go straight to voicemail so you don't oh, even necessarily yeah mm -hmm. it's called ringless voicemail um, and you don't even have to you know have somebody answer the phone and it makes it feel very authentic for a recipient to just see oh I have a missed call listen to the voicemail okay. it's not a robo call no, right it personal, is right, these, these all are, personal right, messages right, these, and what's great yeah you don't have to listen to the voicemail you can see it written out in your transcript yes, yeah and so right. you know that even is great i like that is you can see it there it's all written out it's emphasized and if i want to listen to it i can and i hear that real voice but if i'm on the move and i don't want to listen it's all written. Uh, how do we too. access ringless voicemail? What, as you're calling the number? Or how do you do it? So, so yeah, there's third-party partners um, that work, that offer these services. Okay. Um, much like a telemarketing firm, but instead of the live callers, you are accessing a dashboard where your, your, your staff uh, or volunteers can log in record a voice message um, sometimes you can even record it just right on your like iPhone or whatever and then email the file over to the vendor um, and then ha upload a list of 
phone numbers and, and the, the auto dialer the, spins them out. The vendor knows how to not make the phone ring. Exactly. Yeah. Damn. All yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Ringless voicemail. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, I, I like the emphasis that these are personal calls. Exactly. It's not a. It's not a. It's not a robocall. No. Uh, it's it, personal. You know, it, Brenna, Alyssa. You know, thanks so much. You signed that last petition a couple weeks ago, and and maybe the person says, um, and 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 um, we're so grateful. You know, I mean, it's just a personal. It's just a personal yeah, call. Yeah, it is. This is and a personal message. If yeah. you don't have the time to do an old-fashioned thankathon, right? This is a way that you can still give that personal touch in a, in a very cost-effective way. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Um, okay. Engagement. Have we exhausted I mean, engagement? I guess that's kind uh, of stewardship too, right? So saying thank you. So well, it we're is. Kind of going back and forth. Yes, yeah. that's true. <laughs> You're right, because we did say thank you. You're right. You're right. Okay. Um, but yeah, we want to keep folks engaged. I mean, your point, Brenna, early on, we don't want to treat them like uh, ATMs. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Um, Anything else? All right, so let's move more formally to stewardship now. Sure. Okay. Uh, what, what are your recommendations so we can increase giving? Anybody? Yeah, I think that, um, one, you need to make sure you have an autoresponder set up for any action to say thank you. It's very simple, and it goes a long way. And you need to be specific about what you're saying thank you for. Mm-hmm. And so is it thank you for taking action? Is it thank you for making a gift? These things are important to take that kind of mass communication and again, bring it to more of a personalized level. And so digitally can have those autoresponders. Uh, for direct mail, I don't think the written note is is dead. It still makes an impact. Oh, no. Oh, no. And yeah. if it's handwritten, yeah. I'm a huge, I can't emphasize enough, yeah. huge uh, fan of handwritten notes. Same. They're short. It's not an eight and a half by 11 inch page that you feel you have to full. No. Right. feel you have to fill. Um, they're, and nobody does them. And they're personalized. Right. And, and, and it's somebody's somebody's handwritten handwriting. There are a few organizations out. doing them, but they stand out. That's hardly the thing. Yes. Okay. It's Hard, hardly right. anybody. Not, not literally nobody. So that's what we but want, right? Anybody. We want folks yeah. to kind of, it feels like going back to basics, but it really is just thinking about how would you, as a donor, how would you want to be treated? How would you want to be recognized by an organization? Um, and then thinking about what are the little things that you can do Wait, that give that on, recognition. I, I want to emphasize the handwritten note. Yeah. And then if you're writing to folks, I'd say roughly maybe 60, 65 and over, don't be surprised if you get a handwritten note back. Oh, very right. true. Thanking you for your hand, for thanking the time. <laughs> I've gotten scores of these Yeah, you. Yeah, 100%. Giving. Everybody I work with is all the donors, anyway, pretty much 55 and over. Thanking you for taking the time to, to send a handwritten note. Oh, yeah. They're thanking you for their thank for your thank you. And, and they're doing yet another handwritten note back. It's very that's what sweet. They, especially yeah. folks in their 70s and 80s right. and 90s, some of the donors I work with, mm-hmm. that's what they grew up with, handwriting. Of course. Mm-hmm. And postage notes. So, absolutely. I mean, and also, your mail is not junk mail right. to the folks that are giving to you. Right, they, exactly. You know, an acquisition campaign, that's different. Right. But we're not yes. talking about that. For your for your donors, your mail is not your U.S. mail is not junk mail. Exactly. Okay. And oh, I mean, I'm and sorry, just, no, I had to digress on that because I'm such a huge fan of handwritten notes. Yes, I us too. People are touched. People get people touched. People are by touched, them. and you, the generational giving studies that are coming out now too is saying it's not just our elders 
uh, in the United States that are feeling that way. That are appreciating? That oh, are appreciating. Excellent. Okay. Millennials respond to direct mail as well. They may not have checkbooks in the house, so you have to give them other ways to respond. Um, but it stands out. We don't get a lot of mail. Um, and, yeah. you know, it's... Yeah. So having something... We talked a lot yesterday about the... Uh, having a QR code that is now ubiquitous, right? Silver lining of the global pandemic. But everybody knows how to use them. Do you remember QR codes? They, they slowly... I, like I do. Years, I don't know. Was it eight or ten years ago? You'd see them on like a bus. And I thought, oh, these are brilliant. And they didn't take off then. Well, what, no. what happened? Do we know what happened? Yes. Yeah, Eight no. or ten years? If my timing is off, tell me. It was even older than that, actually. I remember them coming out really in 2003, 2005. Oh, it, how come they didn't take off then? Because each phone, uh, it wasn't native in the operating system. And so if you recall, so you had to download, had to download a specific yeah. app per code. So every company that was pushing these products or trying to get you to use their QR code platform had a separate proprietary app reader that then had to be downloaded. So that's a bridge too far for most of us, right? So every code could be a different... A different provider? Exactly. Oh, okay. Right. All right. I see it. So there was competition among the So we had to have providers. the technology catch up. And th- thankfully now any operating system on any phone has it native within the camera app. So you're not asking the user to navigate their Download way. Download a proprietary app for our, for, exactly. our right. for, the, for the company that provided <laughs> our code. Exactly. All uh, right. Yeah. I know it's yeah. now native, but I didn't know why. All right. Thank you for explaining. Well, yeah. why they Why they died. So many years ago. I thought, this is brilliant. That was it. Okay, I see. Yeah. Oh, cool. Thank you for filling that. But that now they're back. Right? Yeah, now they're, so, right. yeah. now they're ubiquitous. It's time for a break. Stop the drop with DonorBox. It's the online donation platform used by 40,000 nonprofits in the U.S., 50,000 worldwide. It's no wonder. It's four times faster checkout, easier payment processing, No setup fees, no monthly fees, no contract. How many of your potential donors drop off before they finish making the donation on your website? You can stop the drop. DonorBox, helping you help others, DonorBox.org. Now back to engagement and stewardship for increased giving. Okay, uh, millennials... Uh, Gen Z, no checkbooks yeah. in the house, most likely. But Scan the code. give them a code, go right at the right. donation page. Right, and, and like integrating that, whether it's donation page or, you know, connecting from again stewardship pieces, newsletters, um, a calendar. People still really love having, <clears throat> excuse me, um, a wall calendar with beautiful photos mm-hmm. to hang up year round, and having QR codes there with various calls to actions to learn more about the very the programs. You know, that QR code can, of course, take you to the website and specific pages designed, but it can also take you directly to YouTube where you can watch videos. It can take you to a lot of other native apps on your phone that supporters already have and use and engage with on their own that then further your impact story. People react well to calendars? People love calendars. Send send a mid-December calendar for the next year? Yeah, Yeah. 100%. I mean, sometimes they're even more than 12 months, right? So you're sending them out. Uh, summertime planning for the next year. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. All and right, so all sizes, too. Yeah, that's true. All right, so, like, refrigerator magnet calendars, do they still... 
a little bit, but I think less, less, less fridges right. are magnetized nowadays, so oh. that makes it harder. Oh, is that right? Like yeah. the stainless steel ones are not? Yeah. I don't even know. I never, I never use a refrigerator. We're teaching you so much I even, today. I don't have a stainless, I have a stainless steel uh, stove and dishwasher, but not my refrigerator. But I never had magnets anyway, so I wouldn't, because I think that looks like clutter. I all right. like clutter mm-hmm. in my kitchen. Yeah. But stainless steel, it's I not mean, magnetized? Obviously, I don't it's know the, all of them, but on mine at home, it's just the sides that are magnetized, mm-hmm. not the front. Oh, interesting. So, okay. All right. All right. So maybe maybe not the refrigerator anymore. Yeah. But people do like like wall calendars. They do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Even with people okay. moving, working from home, and not necessarily working in an office where you're yeah. hanging it up, still want it. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Cool. All right. So some of these, some of the old school stuff is not dead. Exactly. Yeah. We're talking about mail. We're talking about phone calls. Mm-hmm. We're talking about handwritten notes. Well, and I think yeah. that's we're important. About calendars. Is yeah. you can't assume. You can't assume that these things aren't going to work. And right. so you really need to know what your constituents. All right. Now we go back to testing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like try a try a twelve month calendar. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a is there a code on every month or something or sometimes. Like, sometimes. Yeah. And then we know. Right, we know how many of those, mm-hmm. which months, and you can how track often. All the scans. We know we send yep. five thousand calendars. Yep. And if we get twelve hundred hits on a QR, is that is that good? Yeah. Uh, I mean, well, I don't. Don't ask me to do head math. math, Tony. Okay. Well, all right. Send, <laughs> all right. I was thinking five thousand calendars times twelve months is sixty thousand codes. If we only get twelve hundred. I don't know, but it depends what they led to. Right, exactly. Uh, it depends. All right. It does tell so. you a lot about what your supporters are interested in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so if September is popping, right, all of a sudden September pop. Like, what right. the hell did we? What did we link to in September exactly. that everybody loved? Was it a volunteer opportunity? Was it something related to the month of September? Right. Like month. It's it's what was happening it's out in the world. Month or, yeah. Right in the world. Media. Uh, yeah, yeah. All the yeah. things. So, right, and I mean, right. that's what we have to think about from an engagement and stewardship and lifetime retention standpoint is it's not just necessarily the bottom line LTV per donor, but it is how these supporters are engaging with the brand, the organization more broadly so that they stay engaged for the long term. Otherwise, you don't have planned giving prospects. I was just going right? to uh, see. is so, so smooth. Didn't even, I, didn't have to, I didn't even have to give. I didn't have to, have to lay that out. All right. Thank you very much. Um, these are awesome. Uh, ideas you can implement for your programs. Oh, we've talked about a ton of ideas. Anything else? That, uh, old school, new school, stewardship? Well, I think, too, part of engagement and stewardship is information sharing. So if something is happening in your organization, making sure that that's shared, and that can be seen as stewardship also, because Mm -hmm. they're in the know, and they feel important and connected. And so thinking about content your organization already has, or is planning to disseminate in other ways, package it up as stewardship or engagement. So everything doesn't have to be brand new just for this. That's brilliant. You know, Alyssa, what makes me think of is if you have like insider communications, maybe it's from donors at a certain level, can you expand that circle and you're not diluting the content. Mm -hmm. You're not, you're not diminishing what your $10,000 donors get. If you start giving it to your $2,500 $2,500 donors. Right. Your $10,000 donors are still getting it. Yeah. It's not like a zero sum. Right. Right. So can you're you, building the pipeline. Yeah. Can mm-hmm. you expand the circle so that so that more folks are considered insiders? Right. It doesn't hurt the 
it doesn't hurt the existing insiders to bring more folks in. Agreed. All yeah. right. You know, repurpose the content. Expand the, the, the content. I'm, I always think about that around planned giving donors. Mm -hmm. you know, if you have insider communications or events for your major donors, why not invite your planned giving folks as well? I mean, we think about that similarly with sustainers. Um, you know, can also be they like, sometimes get forgotten. They do yeah, mm -hmm. take it for granted. You know, until they drop off. Right, right. And then we're like, well, should we have done Why more? Why they go? Yeah, of course we, we should have. Yeah, yeah. This is good, Brenda. Talk about the sustainers. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, I think I hope we're well past the like set it and forget it, don't wake the bear mentality. Um, and you know, some things like the proposed Microsoft regulations from last year too will kind of shock the industry into having to be better stewards of these really important donors. Um, and you got to let us in on, on the Microsoft. I don't know about that. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, we got a little bit of a reprieve, So, but it's basically surrounding data privacy rules and allowing the, the donor themselves, or from Microsoft's point of view, the consumer, to... to have a right to adjust their own information, have a right to change um, what they want to change without having to jump through a lot of hoops. So Microsoft was, uh, not Microsoft, I keep saying Microsoft. Yeah. MasterCard. I'm MasterCard. so sorry. That's I'm, what I was like, am I learning what this You're is? You're learning something <laughs> new. Oh, oh I'm so sorry. Okay. That's not good radio. Um, <laughs> MasterCard. Uh, the credit card processing is, was going, is requiring for for-profit e-commerce, things like that, that there's a lot more of the automation and receding that happens uh, for subscription services, right? It's kind of the Netflixication of our lives okay. where we all have so many different monthly subscription services um, that we sometimes forget which ones we're actually actively subscribed to, but our cards are being charged regularly and consumer debt is skyrocketing. MasterCard was trying to also roll, extend that out to subscription giving for nonprofits, so sustainer programs. Oh, that's not fair. Right. Oh, so, come on. I mean, thank People aren't forgetting the charities they give to. Do you I, think? Sometimes. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I did oh. sign up for a second sustaining <laughs> gift to one organization because I had forgotten which one <laughs> that oh. I had. But so, also, right, it, right, it right. did make organizations think about what are our processes, yes. what are... That was my hope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was a really long time getting there, but yeah. Well, that's because I made you digress, because... No. An explanation that's something I never it's heard. It's okay, of. no, and but I was if you had saying called it Microsoft, if you had called Master it Magic Card in the beginning, I, I would have known exactly I, what you were referring to. So it's no, my fault. No, I didn't, 100%, 100%. No, I didn't, my no, I didn't know this at all. I didn't know this. That's okay. okay. So uh, the TNPA, which is a wonderful nonprofit fo advocacy focused organization, the nonprofit. TNPA, yep, the, the nonprofit, nonprofit um, alliance. alliance. Yes, okay. that's all it is. Okay. Um, fought and lobbied on behalf of the, the industry to have nonprofits be forgiven for these rules or not not have to be held to the same standards that commercial companies like Netflix and others are. Okay. Because sustainer ch char charitable giving is different. People are signing up for it, like you said, for a reason and they don't forget about it quite as often. I don't think, yeah. <clears throat> as they would with other just ones. Just my right. sense, though. It's not data-driven. I think it's true. Right. Like I said, right. I am I am an, an example, though I, <laughs> Well, you know. sometimes that's the whole, whole selling point is you don't have to think about it. Right. You, you're giving to an organization you care about and don't worry about it. Right. We've got it. Yeah. And there got is it. some benefit to the efficiency, mm -hmm. certainly, but I think we do have to move past that um, and, and not be scared to empower 
our sustainers okay. um, with some DIY functionality online if they want to change the amount or the date that their gift is processed. A lot of systems nowadays are allowing for it, but the nonprofits still have to go in and activate those modules and customize that UI, that user interface, so that donors understand where to go, what to do, and also where the humans are when they need extra help to do whatever. Okay, so we got a reprieve from the, to the nonprofit alliance, yes. temporarily or what? Potentially what? temporarily, but I think what it hopefully what this does and how we've been working with our clients is a little bit of a wake-up call that it's it shouldn't be seen as a reprimand it should be seen as a stewardship opportunity because your sustainers are generally hundred plus dollar annual donors right and if they gave that gift at a one-time gift level you'd be treating them differently they would be part of a pipeline strategy mm -hmm. um, and and so we need to not only, like I said, empower them to take some ownership over their own giving, but integrate them into you know, the rest of the communication and stewardship programs that you already have in okay. place for donors of, of that value and higher potential value. We were just looking at an organization's um, stats just recently that a one-time donor, online acquired donor, which most sustainers are, is online acquired, um, had an average 24-month uh, LTV of $86, which is pretty good. 24 months? 24 months. $86. $86. Sustainers, $287. Wow. Right. Mm -hmm. So, huge difference yeah. um, that you theoretically don't have to do much for. Like three times. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if those, if they're falling off um, and not, not being stewarded up that pipeline of giving, it's still a drop in the bucket compared to the potential that that donor may hold. Right. Um, just going back to these MasterCard rules, was, yes. was it just was it that charities have to start informing the the, the monthly sustainers that there's a, a dashboard or something that they can go to? Or, um, so not necessarily. Or just a make, you had to make it available. Correct. There was a few different. There was uh, four or five different bullet lists that you had to do or bullet items to do. One was having easy accessible like links in all your emails to a place where they could cancel or change okay. their their gift um, and or con be in contact with within a very short period of time which was subjective with a human who could then help them through that uh, another was an email notification before the gift was charged on a monthly basis oh, which really? actually oh. felt quite was probably the most arduous thing that MasterCard was asking for because most systems are set up to set the autoresponder yep. after, after the charge, yeah. not pre-charge. So there would have to be some configuration and new content developed to have that Unless happen. Unless your after one said, thank you, you will be charged in another 30 days. Maybe, that might work. But maybe that might be a good I little like workaround. Okay. <laughs> but, but maybe it had to be within a certain time of the charge. Yeah. It might have been like 24 or 48 hours. But, yeah, I don't know. But that's, if not, that's you great. Can do that. Yeah, thank you very much. And you will be charged in another 29 days. Right, yeah, exactly. Right? Okay. Yeah, I like that. All right, all right. Um, okay, but the, yeah, I just wanted to get that little little detail about what, what the requirement was. But, yeah. But your bigger point was that there's value in these folks yes. and see this as a stewardship opportunity yes. not, not, a, not a reprimand exactly and I, okay. I mean I think a lot of the stuff you're hearing at the conference too around data privacy um, and donor choice is 
going to kind of follow suit here, okay. where we we have to build systems that empower the donors to take ownership over their own giving trajectory. Mm. Um, and sometimes it is our corporate partners and regulations that nudge us. And sometimes we can stand up and, and do it ourselves. And, and don't be afraid to talk to your sustaining donors. Right. Uh, no, Never. Don't, let's yeah. not, right, hopefully, you know, we're, we're not only over the set it and forget it, but we're also over the, if I talk to them, they might, they might, right, change, they might right. change their mind. The don't wake the bear. Yeah. yeah. The, scarcity, the, the scarcity mindset. Yeah. They're going to take their gift away if I remind them that they're doing it every right. month. No. You know, no. So see it as an opportunity. Right, don't, right. Don't and be if afraid you're, of your, don't be afraid to talk to these folks. If yeah. you're engaging and stewarding them, if they do make the decision that they can't continue being a recurring donor, hopefully they still will make that one-time gift. Or they'll right. sign up for uh, advocacy or volunteer or planned giving is that they're still fully engaged with your mission and organization. So you're not losing them completely. Yeah. Right. They're just shifting how they can support. Right. Situational you. changes certainly will affect that. Right. And mm-hmm. some especially uh, some sustainers are only giving three or five dollars a month. Um, and things like inflation and a tightening economy might affect if they can temporary, you know, if they need to temporarily pause that sustaining gift. Um, if the system allows them to do that themselves, amazing. If not, making sure they know who to contact so that how they can do it and keeping that open line of communication so that they know they can also come back mm-hmm. is really important mm-hmm. to, again, building that brand affinity and bonding them to the organization so that they say good things about you out in the world. Oh, this is awesome. Um, great ideas coming. I, I'll be very interested in if, if that MasterCard rule uh, takes effect in the uh, sort of the data, the, the outcomes. Yes. You know, yeah. do we see do we see a lot of sustainers dropping off? My uh, optimistic self thinks that we won't see that happen a lot. Yeah. That a lot of people are going to abandon it just because they're reminded that they that I, they could. Yeah, I but, agree. With but you. I'll be interested in the data. But maybe the rule will never. So where does it stand now with the MasterCard? It's not. It doesn't apply to nonprofits now. Correct. And we don't know if or when it will. They could. Like, they could change their but, mind and try and refresh like, it. But they didn't say like December thirty first is. It is a is, temporary, be, but no deadline waiver. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at your learning objectives that were stated in the official N10 document for this session. Um, ideas. Oh, we've, dozens. If, if, if you have, I, I think listeners, you got to go back and replay this replay this episode to capture all the ideas we talked about. Um, Understanding the value of multi-channel touches Mm -hmm. that increase retention and value. Well, we've talked about multi, we've talked about all kinds of channels. Yeah. Uh, what else didn't, didn't we talk about that you talked about yesterday? So we touched on it with like the welcome series, right? And the automation. One of the things that I said yesterday, and I firmly believe, is that we should be leveraging automation more than we do in the digital space. Uh, there is so much still like manual labor happening in email launches, SMS launches, advertising and things like that, building audiences that is unnecessary. If we take a step back and take a little bit of time to kind of assess the lay of the land first and build out campaign goals, priorities, and tactics and strategies, you can pretty much pre-schedule almost everything online. Uh, So you don't need to be manually sending out three emails a week or, you know, whatever it is. Your systems, your technology can really do so much work for you. Um, and it's hard for some 
folks to put let their trust go. in the machines. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, to let go and not review every single audience calc and every single, you know, test live want to see a live seed for every single email, you know, those kind of things. Um, but there's so much more opportunity to do that. And you can build trigger-based, behavior-based, triggered actions, um, emails, engagements, things like that, that keep stewarding people on their own timeline. So you don't have to pull a list of your, you know, almost lapsing donors manually every time if it's based on the data that lives in the CRM. Um, and you can build these chronic non-responder, trigger-based, behavior-based re-engagement series. That's all about when I last engaged, and it's different from when Alyssa last engaged. Uh, and it is a little set it and forget it, though of course you want to check in periodically to make sure nothing's gone sideways and the content's still relevant and doesn't feel dated. Yeah. Um, but that would free up fundraisers, marketers, whoever at the nonprofit to think bigger think newer, think how we can do something differently or what are the things that we've wanted to do for so long but we never feel like we had the bandwidth or the time. If we truly allow ourselves to fully leverage the software that we are investing in regularly, um, we'll have so much more time. Okay. Leverage automation. Yes. I think another thing yesterday, and oftentimes this is a big question of how can I come back to my organization and have them see the value? You know, they're looking for the upfront giving Mm -hmm. and want fundraising at the forefront, the ask, donate now, give now. And so with engagement, you can have after actions, but that's behind the engagement. That's not at the forefront. So really being able to share with people the value is important to go back to their organization and say, you know, there needs to be a balance. You need to look at your communication calendar. Where is there the give and take that you can have and sharing that while you might not get the gift today, when you make the ask, there's a stronger case to give there. And so really looking at your unique file and what they actually respond to because there's some organizations where you can send a fundraising appeal and you get tons of gifts right off the bat and then there's some where you need to sell it a little more and have those touch points before you can make the ask and so it's different for everyone but it's important to evaluate that before just saying no we can only give fundraising emails and and uh, direct mail appeals all right. Alyssa, yeah. I'm going to let you... That was semi-inspirational. Great. But it was very, very it was tactical, too. <laughs> so I'm going to let you leave us with an inspirational message about engagement and stewardship uh, and how that leads to increased giving. Oh, that wasn't inspirational enough. Okay. That was semi. That was semi. But it also had tactical in there. Just, okay. You know, overall... This is, oh, this what? is pressure. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, you're up to, you're up to it. Just... Um, I think that you you just have to take that that leap of faith with engagement and stewardship, and no one is going to say you you thanked me too many times. You sent me too much information. Um, you shouldn't be afraid to provide what your organization does and share your mission. That's what we're here to do. And so, um, yeah, engage, steward, and you'll see you'll see the value come back around. Yeah, convey that impact and they'll they'll keep giving. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Brenna Holmes, principal and senior vice president at Mission Wired 
and Alyssa Ackerman, Senior Account Director at Mission Wired. Thanks very much for sharing. Thank you, Tony. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. It was, it was, it was great. Uh, energetic and brilliant. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you very much. And thank you for being with Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio coverage of 23NTC, where we are sponsored by Heller Consulting, technology strategy and implementation for nonprofits. Thanks so much for being with us. It's time for Tony's Take Two. Hi there. Who can you share nonprofit radio with? I would be grateful if you could identify one or two folks that would benefit from the smart guests that uh, I'm picking the brains of each week for all our listeners in small and mid-sized nonprofits. Maybe it's someone you work with, someone you used to work with. Maybe it's a board member. Who do you know that you could share nonprofit radio with? Let them know it's your favorite hebdomadal podcast. So I would be grateful if you could share nonprofit radio. Love to have more folks learning from all our smart, savvy guests. That's what the show is all about, passing on expertise and wisdom. Thanks very much. Thanks for thinking about that. That is Tony's take two. We've got buku, buttloads more time. Here is data maturity. Welcome back to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio coverage of 23NTC. It's day two at the Colorado Convention Center in Denver, where we are sponsored by Heller Consulting, technology, strategy, and implementation for nonprofits. With me now is Joanne Jan. She is project manager of strategic partnerships at data.org. Welcome to Nonprofit Radio, Joanne. Thank you, Tony. Happy to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you. And your session topic is, is data maturity the key to meeting your mission? It's a question mark. All right. Give us the 30,000-foot view of why this is important. Absolutely. So when data.org is thinking about data maturity, we think about it in um, three different ways, a, a specific framework we call the three Ps, purpose, practice, and people. And what we have designed based on this framework is a data maturity assessment which is a way to understand where you think your organization is in terms of its data maturity. And we hope that you use the assessment as a communication tool to understand with other colleagues, perhaps your leadership, perhaps board members, to think about what do you want to do next in terms of improving the way you use data more effectively and um, how do you use it better to meet your mission. What is data maturity? Yeah. And so there are a lot of different terms out there that um, can encompass data maturity, but the way we think about it is, again, in the three Ps. So when we think about purpose, we think about why are you collecting data? What are you intending it to do? Are you intending it to help you inform future decisions? Are you helping it? Are you intending to collect it to help you inform past um, past programming? Or are you informing it or collecting it to inform... Um, uh, what you think could be right now, informing decision-making right now. 
in terms of the second P, which is practice, this is what, how are you going to actually use the data? How are you going to use it to achieve what you're looking for? Um, so this is thinking about data analysis, data visualization, um, the way you're using and working with that data. And then the third P we think is probably one of the most important ones is the people. So thinking about who is actually doing this data collection, the analysis, the visualization, who at the leadership level is promoting and prioritizing data, and then third, the culture. So what is your culture around data? As a team, are you constantly collecting and analyzing data together, using it to inform decisions, um, that type of uh, culture? Okay, and the, the question is, is this the key to meeting, meeting your mission? So uh, how, does, how does data maturity contribute to uh, mission accomplishment? Yeah, so I think the way we think about it is it's a way to be more effective, be more efficient, and be more impactful in the way that you are carrying out your programmatic objectives. So um, when we think about our data maturity journey, you can be at a different part of the journey depending on where your organization is. And perhaps if you're earlier on in the journey, data collection might not be of primary focus. But as you're moving along, as you're developing more um, understanding and knowledge and that talent in data, you might want to use it a little more and drive your specific decision making or practices in that way. Um, and so the reason it's a question the sense is really thinking about where your organization is and thinking about what can I do now to um, maximize the use of data that I, as an organization, am probably already collecting. So what am I doing now with the, with the data that I have on hand? And thinking about in the future, do I want to shift my practices in any way, shift my people in any way, or my purpose, to make it a little more efficient, a little more effective, um, hmm. a little more impactful? Okay. Um, you have some tools and resources you mentioned a data. You mentioned yeah, data assessment. Yes. Is that is that at data.org? It is. Right, um, data.org is an organization that has a um, a platform for partnerships to build the field of data for social impact, and we do it in the three C's. So the first one is oh, capacity. We got the three P's. We got the three C's. It's easy to remember. All right. Are there any others? There any <laughs> okay. Three. No, I think that's it. Okay. So the three C's: cases, capacities, commons. Okay. Uh, cases, you're really thinking about lifting up practitioners, nonprofits, social impact organizations that are already doing great work with data or data science. And we post those stories, we share their stories on our uh, digital platform. The, th the second one is cases capacity. capacity. Uh, <laughs> so uh, thinking about how uh, do you... you start from the beginning. Right? <laughs> yeah. I can't do it in the middle. Right, you can only go from the beginning, yes. Right. Capacity, so thinking about um, how do you increase the capacities of individual practitioners and also organizations. And we do this in a few different ways. One of them being perhaps if an organization needs some technical assistance, we can match make them with um, different consultants or other organizations that do this type of work. Uh, thinking about upskilling organizations, so helping them become more um, literate in data or developing mm -hmm. a new skill. Um, and then our third C is commons, which is where the data maturity assessment falls in. And commons is thinking about different digital public goods that you can offer for free for anyone to access um, that is open source uh, and that it um, can help you improve your practice in some way. So we have an initiative called Epiverse at data.org, which is... Um, Wait, what's the name of the initiative? Epiverse. Epiverse, okay. 
So uh, that initiative was thinking about creating open source tools for epidemiology. And so if you have coders, if you have public health professionals, everyone's coming together from different roles and aspects and creating tools that would be helpful for um, other people. So maybe a local government in a different country might want to look at these open source tools and it helps them predict uh, the way a pandemic might spread, predict the number of hospital beds you might need based on um, different elements of their of what has already happened. So putting things together and creating those tools and different packages that you can take and apply to different uh, right. scenarios and contexts. So, so this is just one example of... Of a, of a commons. Uh, of, a com- of a commons, right. Yeah. Okay. But the okay. one I focus on is the data maturity assessment. And in okay. addition to that, it's connected to what we call the resource library. So there are a lot of different resources on our library that uh, can help you figure out what you want to do next. So... The way our assessment works is it gives you an overall score and a score for the three Ps as well as subcategories. And with that, you get resources matched up to how you're responding. And so say you're scoring really high. Wait, before we go to that, before we go to the outcome of the assessment, where where do folks find the assessment at data.org? So data.org slash DMA. DMA. Yeah. Data management assessment. Data data maturity maturity, assessment. Data maturity assessment. DM. Data.org slash DMA. Okay, very well named, easily named. <laughs> Easy okay. to remember. So then the outcome is um, we get we get resources allied with our outcomes around the three Ps. Yeah, so okay. if, if you're scoring a little lower in strategy, which is a subcategory in purpose, you might want to check out our, our strategy guide, which is a step-by-step process that you, you might want to take your team through and think about okay, what is the data we're already collecting? What do we want the data to help us inform in terms of decisions or in terms of team makeup or whatever? And then thinking about, okay, what's our overarching strategy and how do we communicate that with our team so we're all moving in the same direction? What do we need to know entering the assessment? Like, is this something I can do in 15 minutes? Yes. So, do, do I, Can I CEO do it or do I need my IT vendor with me or what? That's a great question. And so the assessment you can do in about 10 to 12 minutes, it does not matter what role you're in, anyone in your organization can take it. And an important caveat is this is your perspective on your organization's use of data. So this is not going to be the um, objective assessment of how your organization is using data. It's your perspective on it. And the way we encourage users to use the tool is to use it as a communication tool. So say I take it and then Tony, you take it, but our scores are different. That's okay. The whole point of it is to help you understand and have a conversation about why did you score maybe five in this category, but I scored eight. Is it because of the role I'm in? Is it because we interpreted the question perhaps a little differently? And then once we're aligned, then we can think about, okay, we're aligned on where each subcategory falls. And it seems like we both understand that maybe security is something we want to work more closely on because we agree that that is something that we don't have the proper protocols or practices in place or that's something we want to improve so let's work together on that and think about how do we improve that a little more um, without our listeners having the um, advantage of having taken their uh, data maturity assessment how can we help folks I mean are there maybe there are re- some of the resources or tools that are commonly needed and helpful how can, how can we help listeners with their 
data maturity before they take their assessment because they're just listening now. Yes. Well, so if you're interested in exploring the resource library, we have a lot of different tools on it. But what I would recommend and, I, and what we recommend for those who are just starting their data maturity journey is to think about strategy. So data.org has a specific guide for strategy in the resource library. And you can think about, okay, where, where is my organization now? And how do I enact and write up a strategy with my team in order to use data more effectively to um, better understand how data is coming in and what you could uh, think about in the long term and future what you want to do with the data. Okay. Okay. What else was in your session that uh, we haven't talked about yet? Yeah, so um, unfortunately my co-presenter couldn't be here, but another part of our session was thinking about um, you're using data, but how you're using it in equitable ways. So equitable cultivating equitable practices for data for mm -hmm. social impact. Okay. Um, and the organization that was part of this presentation was the Data for Social Impact Initiative at the Social Policy Institute at Washington University in St. Louis. Okay. <laughs> it took four layers to get there. All right. right. I have to make All sure right. I take a lot of pauses during that. Right. And so what they've done is they created a, a course module. So it's free and open to anyone to use. And it's thinking about data for social impact. So if you as an individual are thinking, oh, you know, I want to learn a little bit more about data. I want to learn, you know, perhaps in my role, how I can use it better, just some foundational knowledge. Th this free and open course is something you can access um, at the Data for Social Impact Initiative at the Social Policy Institute website. Okay. Okay. Um, how about um, questions that came from your, from your session? Uh, what kinds of questions did you get or anything that stuck with you? Maybe a provocative question around data? Yeah, I think um, a question, one of the first questions we got was thinking about the word assessment and how that lands with people. So our DMA is called the data maturity assessment and thinking about maybe assessment is not the right um, word because it does have a certain connotation that you're being evaluated. And the, the real purpose of the DMA is to help you set a... Um, an understanding of what you think your organization is. So it's not necessarily evaluative, it's more of a, um, a snapshot of where you are. And so a suggestion was perhaps benchmarking is a little more, um, is a little more friendly or a little more um, descriptive of what right, it actually right. is. Um, so that was a really interesting question and useful feedback. Um, I'm trying to think of others. I think an interesting piece about the data maturity assessment is that we um, are a global organization, so we encourage wherever you are in the, in the world to take it. And we've had um, a lot of different countries represented in our data set, which is over a thousand submissions at this point. So it helps us understand the field of data for social impact a little better. Um, it's a relatively emerging field. We're still learning about it. And the fact that we can have a larger pool of data sets, we can better understand perhaps where there needs to be more support in the field, um, where there needs to be more funding in the field. Um, something that data.org releases every year is, is a report on thought leadership. And our first report was Workforce Wanted and thinking about what is the current talent landscape of this sector right now and how do we train more purpose-driven data professionals uh, and bring some people over from the private sector, encourage new talent to get into data for social impact, because we believe that data is going to be a huge um, 
indicator of whether or not your organization is going to be successful. What's what's I guess I I really have uh, kind of a neophyte question. So, <laughs> but you've been you're you're a data professional scientist, and I've been studying this for about. Uh, 16 minutes. So, well, well, to clarify, I'm not a data scientist. I am. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> well, your title, okay, your title is Project Manager of Strategic Partnerships. Oh, I'm sorry, you sound like a data scientist, but you're not. No, I'm not. Oh, okay. Um, data, well, you have been working with this for a long time. Um, what's the value of knowing where we are in our data journey as an organization? Why, why, why is this important? Yeah. So I think what we hear a lot from organizations is everyone is collecting and consuming data regardless of whether or not you have a strategy in place. And so when you want to make a decision, perhaps you're having a challenge at your organization and you think maybe buying software or technology is going to solve everything. Um, What we often hear is that making that big financial investment didn't actually solve everything. It created more problems. And our hypothesis is that because there was no strategy in the first place, there was no overarching reason why um, the decision to make an investment in some technology or software uh, would help you achieve your overarching goals, which was which is usually in some sort of programmatic objectives, your outcomes that you want your organization to achieve. Yeah. And so it's understanding what data are we collecting? What is our infrastructure? What tools do we already use? And how do we make them all work in the same direction? How do we make it all work so we're, we're going towards and working towards our programmatic objectives? And something that we're learning more and more is that data can help you be more efficient. It can help you understand the different trends in perhaps the different constituents you're serving or the trends in um, whatever your mission may be. It can help you get more information. And oftentimes you have this information, but it's thinking about how do you um, look at it? How do you analyze it in a way that can drive maybe financial decisions you're making, maybe cultural decisions you're making, leadership decisions. Um, And this is just one data point. So thinking about the different types of data you're collecting uh, and helping you make as informed a decision as possible. Okay, all right, so helping with strategic direction, obviously meeting mission, um, strategic planning. Strategic planning. Yeah. Um, right. um, yeah, talent decisions, if you wanna hire, who you wanna hire, what skill sets you need, et cetera. Okay, how about we leave it there? All, all right. right. All right, so a big part of this is encouraging folks to uh, do the data management assessment. Majority. Data maturity. Data maturity. Damn it. I'm sorry. Data maturity assessment, which you will find at data.org slash DMA. She is Joanne Jan, project manager of strategic partnerships at data.org. Joanne, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks for uh, carrying the, the, uh, the other part of the, the other part of your session too, for your co-presenter who couldn't be here. Thank you for representing that as well. And thank you for being with nonprofit radio coverage of 23 NTC, the 2023 Nonprofit Technology Conference, where we are sponsored by Heller Consulting, technology strategy and implementation for nonprofits. Next week, multi-generational technology teaching and goals aligned with technology. If you missed any part of this week's show, I beseech you, find it at TonyMartinetti.com.
We're sponsored by DonorBox. With intuitive fundraising software from DonorBox, your donors give four times faster. Helping you help others. DonorBox.org. Our creative producer is Claire Meyerhoff. The show's social media is by Susan Chavez. Mark Silverman is our web guy. And this music is by Scott Stein. Thank you for that affirmation, Scotty. Be with me next week for Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Go out and be great. <laughs>